It's sweating and it's just glistening. Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm doing really well, man. You know, I, so so just, you know, we've been, I, I've been having mental process at the beginning of every episode. Uh, I've gone, I'm, I'm a little faster on the pot right now. So I'm coming off of that intro music a little faster. Uh, so if you at home uh, notice that and you have thoughts about it, you can, you can give me your comments. Uh, Email you know, directly to Will. Yeah, I, I assume this is something that's pretty important to most of the people listening because it's like the only 30 seconds of, of the show that they probably listen to. So, you know, I, I don't know. It just matters that we get to listen. Yeah, it feels good, though. It feels like this is right. I, think, I, I didn't notice. I'll be really honest with yeah. you. <laughs> Not doing good, man. How are you? Good. Made a good dinner tonight. Yeah, I, you did. I had, a, I had like... A good like last day of weekend. Decided to go, kind of go a little bit balls to the wall cooking. Mm-hmm. Made a good dinner. I made a uh, udon noodle soup, and I made pork buns. Mm-hmm. Bowser, Bowser pork buns, and it was terrific. Now I did buy a kimchi at the store today, and I had it before, and I remembered not liking it last time I had it, and when I had it again tonight, I remembered why. And it's the kind that's it's in a it's in a glass jar. It's got a green label on it. It's the mild one, and it's sealed. And it, it looks like it's ruptured because it's really tight in there. And it says actively fermenting, shake well, and open over sink. And I remember that the reason I don't like it is because it's still actively fermenting. Mm-hmm. It's it's like carbonated, which mm-hmm. adds a really good tartness. Yeah. But I'm going to warn you, my burps are just next level horrible <laughs> right now. And I'm sorry for that. Yeah. But that's but, why I don't like it because it's just, it's like just, it like, it's drink a LaCroix, just chug it and see what happens. Right. And that's the same kind of uh, chemical reaction that's happening in my Sure, like stomach. a super fresh, yeah. uh, what do they call that drink? Kombucha. Kombucha. It tastes really good. It tasted really good, but man, it's it's got. It, I'm having some phase two effects. Yeah, you know, I had sushi tonight. I had sushi tonight. Pretty good sushi, uh, but I also have some phase two effects happening. So the burps are just gonna. This room is gonna be, be fresh, man. Fumigated in here, fresh. Uh, no, good, good, great. Yeah, uh, I should open this beer because it looks good. This is a stash a delica. Yeah, Stash Hop Valley. I gotta say, Hop Valley's really boring with the with the beer names. Hop Valley's always been really boring with their beer names. They have like thirty IPAs, and they're all like just <laughs> they, some version of cryo hopped something stash. Stash. Yeah, they stash used to have the uh, they used to have the Double D Blonde. That was about their only exciting name, and they don't make that beer anymore. Yeah, their, the draft one. handle was really good too, as you can I, you can guess what it looked like. So it was boobs. Yeah, pair of them. Yeah. Uh, well, well, great, great. We're going to talk about watches tonight. Sort of adjacent, yeah. maybe. Oh, we're not even talking. I mean, we will at some point talk about, oh, like uh, some watches. A several. 
Yeah. Uh, it turns out we're going to talk about Rainbow Daytonas. I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> I didn't see but, that coming either. Uh, I do realize now uh, that we are going to talk about Rainbow Daytonas. So we've got a special guest, and this is a little bit of a, a, a different type of guest for us. We oftentimes have brand owners on the show. Mm-hmm. We occasionally have people who make various other watch-related things. Mm-hmm. I do believe this is the first painter Yes. That we have first ever painter. had on the show. At least first professional painter, right? Second drawer, first painter. Yeah, because I bet like some of the people who've been on this show paint. Well, art of horology, sketches. Oh, yeah. Does. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there were they're artists. Yeah, they're, it's just yeah. a slightly That's different art. medium. That's art. So we do have on the show Sunflower Man, a.k.a. Matthew Miller, artist extraordinaire, men's fashion artist but also more uh more prudent to our purposes a, a watch artist Ma- matthew hello welcome how are you hello hello everett thank you so much for having me everett and andrew uh <laughs> delightfully known as averett everett yeah uh, that's when you, you start were... listening to the show and you can't tell us apart Yes, yes. Basically, and, your entire experience listening to this show. Right. And I'm going to assume everyone's had the same experience right. I have had. And they don't get to look at you like I am right now, which is honestly just relaxing. Is okay. it? Is it? I can really? See. It's because we're drinking beer. That's what it is. There's yeah. a nice lighting. You're not wearing pants. That's right. We're drinking beer. Yeah. That's the whole true. thing. Well, I have an espresso that I just pulled. Uh, just pulled. I'm an, I'm an espresso sipper. So... I say just pulled, but it was within the last 15 minutes. And you're uh, a Gaggia man. True. I I am currently playing with the Gaggia Classic Pro. Yeah. And I've I've modified it. I've added the PID so I can monitor the temp on my boiler. And I want to add a dimmer and I want to add the the pressure modulator, but time, you know, just extra time. And, and and wires like some of these espresso machine mods can be kind of intense. Yeah, so I I modded the machine. It's like over five hours of my day. Yeah, which that's those were my prime painting hours too. I was just so excited about making my own espresso, and messing with all these wires. Finally got the PID put on, plugged the machine in, turned it on, hit one of the buttons to kind of set my own settings yeah, on yeah. the pid and boom, huge explosion oh. ball of lightning and i'm like oh my god i think i just destroyed the entire thing within five minutes of turning it on <laughs> that's exciting <laughs> i had never had to deal with any electrical anything in my studio so it took me an hour to find the switches uh to be able to turn the wall back on and i was terrified the entire time mostly i was terrified i was not going to be able to have espresso that day Turns out everything was fine. I just don't ever press the one button on the PID. I, I press everything else. So that button's off limits. It's got like red tape over it or something, no? No. Everybody else is too scared to touch it because it looks like, because my wires are also, I'm not an electrician and anybody who comes to the studio can see that just yeah. so obviously. Yeah. These wires hanging out of the back of my machine. <laughs> yeah. They're like, don't fuck with um, that. Yeah. And for good so reason, people, it sounds like. <laughs> right. It's it's like the skull and crossbow. You yeah. see it and you know to stay away. So I'm not, I'm not worried about other people, and I already know which button it is. So 
Hopefully I don't forget. You know, you Gaja guys are <laughs> modders. I'm a I'm a Breville guy. And mm. and we're the opposite, right? This is like Mac versus Linux. Like the yeah, Gaja Classic Pro guys are the Linux guys. They're like, I need to get into the C Java language and to change the color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gonna push the I'm gonna push the two cups button. And then I'm going to push the other button on the right and I'm going to make sure I go 35 seconds and then I'm going to press the button again and then I'm going to drink espresso. Yeah. See, I'm a Mac guy. And I think if you came into my studio and saw all the wires, you'd be like, yeah, this guy wants to be a Linux guy, but clearly <laughs> could never actually do he, it. He tried and it's just not quite, not quite yeah. in. <laughs> so, just for context, for you folks at home, I met Matthew at Windup in New York in October, I think that was. Um, Sounds right. And Matthew, you were sitting at Jonathan Ferrer's table, the Brew Watches table, and yep. you were actively engaged in a painting. You were doing a painting sort of live, as it were, I, you know, like like almost performance art. But also yeah. performance art by way of the creation of of painted That's art. Performance art. Um, and I was like, I was kind of fascinated because like I, at first I couldn't tell. I was like, is this just like, you know, it's New York, right? So it's like, is this like a hobo who's just sort of like walked in just here? You weren't here. dressed like a hobo. I, obviously, you're a very fashionable guy. But I was like, what, like, what is this? And, and then it's it just became a guy who was in the banquet hall. <laughs> and then wind up started around him. He's like, I'm in the middle of this and I'll leave when I'm done. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you were making this really cool painting and this painting can be seen. I think we put it on our Instagram at the time because I was like, this is really cool. But we sat down and talked and um, and I said, well, what are you doing tomorrow? We should get beers. And you were like, oh, I can't get beers because <laughs> I'm doing, I'm painting. There's an event with Swizz Beats <laughs> a collaboration with Diva Thune and I'm going to, I'm probably mispronouncing that name, uh, and I'm going to paint, I'm going to perform at this show with Swizz Beats and paint this watch. But getting beers with you is a really close second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, like well, I, that sounds like you should fucking skip to. that shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, honestly, that's more my speed. Uh, I, love, I love getting to be in that environment because it's not I don't, I don't go out to bars. I don't go out to clubs. I'm very boring and I just don't care. I would rather talk to people and have a conversation. And when there's so much music and lights flashing and it's dark, there's no, there's no real conversation to be had. So those are always fun. I get to show off. People are like, I love you, even though do they, I don't know, but I mean, I'm there and there. Yeah, no, so, I did. I was being serious when I said that. I see. I, I believe you, Everett. <laughs> uh, but no, those those night events are, are great, and it was awesome. I met Swiss Beats. I I met the people at Day Bethune, and and Watchbox is a part of that as well. And so that that was all fun. I really uh, was obligated, so I couldn't go have a beer, yeah. which I would have loved to do. And we'll make that happen eventually. You, you you had a prior engagement, let's say. Yeah, uh, probably an unforeseen prior engagement <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that came a, up after you asked a <laughs> even even more so a professional engagement, because this is what you do for your living. You 
are an artist, a, a real life professional artist. Yeah. Yeah. People you need like, to confirm is that. that. A, yeah. Is that a plane? Is that a bird? And they're like, no, <laughs> that's an artist. So known as Sunflower Man. And we should talk a little bit about the etymology. And is an etymology when it's a name? Or is that just a word? Is there a think, separate ology for names? I think maybe the the legend would be more appropriate <laughs> yeah. here. The the legacy, the the heraldry of the name. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's good. Heraldry. That's yeah. good. I love all of this, Andrew. I think you're spot on. Usually people say origin story, and that fits with like, you know, the super the Batman origin story, the Spider-Man origin story. Uh, but I like the legend. That's yeah. very nice. Well, origin story is 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 at least partially apt here because yes. the story of the Sunflower Man does involve a cape. Yes. It does involve a cape. So can you tell us a little... So I've said... Uh, hold on. I'm going to ask for some straight dish because I've read this story now a couple times and it always feels like you sort of... You, you want to like not tell the... You just want to like skim over the actual story. But I, I think the actual story is maybe fun. But I don't know it because it does feel like you skim over it. So can you tell us what actually happened uh i mean i'll give you the the, the way i tell everyone because at this point i just kind of have it down yeah uh, and then if there's more to dig into we can dig into it <laughs> i don't know if there is i was i was a child uh so i grew up in michigan every year i would go to the summer camp this one year 10 years old we go to the summer camp and we have to do a skit one day and you put your, it's one of those things where you put your like hand in a bag and pull it out and whatever you see is what you utilize or that's kind of what we did. So I reached into the bag, I pulled out a shower curtain and I had to use this in a skit. 10 years old, I love superheroes. So I take the shower curtain covered in sunflowers, drape it over my shoulders, tie it off. And I become sunflower man that day. Uh, and that's kind of the story. Now, if we want to go deeper, there's actually a much better, a much better deep seated um, uh, heartbreak involved in this origin story. Ooh, yeah, well, I, I have a couple questions first, just about the camp. Is this an art <laughs> camp? Is this just like a sleepaway camp? Yeah, like, is it like a Methodist? A, is it like an all-purpose <laughs> camp? It's it's gonna be it's gonna be closer to a Methodist camp. So, okay. uh, I grew up in what was, and I'm sure some of my family will be offended, but what was essentially a cult. Uh, Church of God Seventh Day, which, okay. if you go back far enough, it was part of Seventh Day Adventist, but they had split off some decades earlier. And so, Church of God Seventh Day, uh, we went to church on Saturday. That's that's the real Seventh Day mm -hmm. for for everyone out there. If you have to know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that was the summer camp. It was seven days long. Seven? That sounds right. But yeah, so we were there. Honestly, some of the best memories of my childhood are going sure. to this camp. Sleeping out in a cabin, long walks up to the mess hall early in the morning, a nice chill breeze in the summer. And then, you know, limited adult around. supervision. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Li very limited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, obviously, that's the best part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can go running through the woods. Uh, one time, and this is, this is, uh, probably a, a trauma I have still that I'm living with, but I was in, cause we just had the porta potties. It was all these log cabins Yeah, and you just had the porta potties out here. There's, they had the, what do you call, what did they call it? Up top, they had the latrine. That's mm -hmm. it. So there was a latrine, but you know, that was like a half mile walk and late at night. You don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. So just go out to the, the porta potties and 
probably the last night, the oldest campers usually pull pranks and whatnot. So I, I go in there and I really have to go. And then all of a sudden it starts shaking and I'm in there and like this thing is shaking around me. I hear and people are duct taping. So I don't remember how long I was in there. I remember screaming. I don't remember how old I was either. I was probably 18. Uh, <laughs> this well, was, I was a freaking counselor last summer, summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i remember this so you know limited supervision you can get away with a lot yeah i was eventually freed yeah i mean you're here I'm now i'm here now yeah <laughs> you got you got out and it didn't, didn't get tipped over which would have been far worse oh that would have been a nightmare yes it, it could be real trauma right now it's just kind of like it was it was a light trauma, we'll call Just, it. And now discomfort in confined spaces, which is also a reasonable, you know, prudence to have. Right. And as we were discussing before we recorded, all of those doors that were left open yeah. everywhere I went. Yeah. Perhaps <laughs> this is the real answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> give us some background because you don't, I mean... You, you don't become a painter overnight, right? I mean, you're hmm. you're both. I think for for many artists, you're both born an artist, but but also you you don't become an artist uh, uh, overnight. There's some some decisions that have to be made, and um, you, you know, there's a process. So so give us some of your background. And being sunflower man just doesn't pay the bills at some point. So right, yeah. right. Unless well, yeah. there's more uh, to it than yeah. than the shower curtain cape. There's probably got to right, be well, more I, to it. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I'm Sunflower Man today. That's that's the brand. So it so does now pay, it the, pays bills. the bills. Yeah, yeah. Now it pays the bills. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I tell everybody I was born with a pencil in my hand. So before I had memories, before I had real consciousness, that was in me. Like I I didn't make the choice initially to be interested in drawing. That was just there from from my entire family will tell you I've always been drawing. So that, that part just happened to me. And then at some point I decided I was going to be an artist in high school. I actually, I really love languages. I was going to go into linguistics. I mean, I'm trying to imagine the type of career I would have had as sunflower man with language. And I don't know if that would work. Uh, there's something but there. I was going to I mean, go into linguistics. Calligraphy is really pretty and people pay to do that. Right. So. So there's something that's true that is true i i had an a plus 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 once on a project in high school for calligraphy that i did for a poetry project and uh yeah that paid off really well uh bumped up that average for me that'll yeah. do it yeah that was a lot of plus yes. triple plus yeah i didn't know that was uh even a possibility yeah i don't I, think i don't actually think it is you know what? Yeah. i'm gonna say they waited i'm saying i'm gonna say it was like a 6.0 is what that's how I like to remember it. That's how it should be. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, calligraphy would be cool. Linguistics is what I was going to go into in high school. Like I was on track to go to Grand Valley State University and go into the linguistics department. And then I just had a moment where this is a deeper story. We don't have to get into, but I had a moment where I realized, no, I have to draw. That's who I am. Like that is what gives me life and joy. I do it all the time. In school, I was always drawing on the chalkboard or on the marker board before class, after class, whatever. It's how I made all of my friends. I'd be like, oh, I'm drawing over here. Does anybody see this? Does any, oh, you, oh, you did see that. That's how I made friends. I still, that's how I still make friends. 
Um, it's how, that's how, that's how we met. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was, that's just always there. So I decided to go to Kendall College of Art and Design instead of Grand Valley State University to get a career in illustration. So that was kind of the, the born to college time. Uh, yeah. And what's the goal? I mean, when you go into a, a school of art and design with a focus on illustration, where, where are you? Do you just, or do you not care what you're drawing? You just want to be drawing. I, I have, I, what's the goal? That's a great question. It's a question that should be uh, asked far, far more often rather than what school are you going to? What goal are you trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. If I knew that I was supposed to achieve a goal when I went into college, things would have been very different. Oh yeah, no, uh, real, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have no idea what the goal is. Uh, yeah, for me, just drawing was it. And nobody in my family ever went to college. So I was just proud that I was going to a university, although art school is not really college. It's, it's, a, it's basically a scam. But I have, I mean, that's a whole other... You got to graduate high school first to get there, though. I mean, that's, that's college. That's, that's a huge, that's a big accomplishment just in and of itself. Okay. That's a whole thing right there. I did great in high school. I was top five in my class. I mean, we were a class of 99, so that's not that high, but top five in my, my class. And I had like a 4.1 something or other. Like I did great in high school. And then I went to college to an art school where kids don't care about the school process. I was always done with my work and kids are like, Oh no, I haven't started yet. And teachers are like, Oh yeah. Let's, let's, you know, postpone this project for another week. I'm like, why am I paying for this? I just did this for free for four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you know, I went to law school and it's really similar, uh, Matt. It, it's sort of the same thing, actually. So you guys went to, you both are lawyers, right? Am I remembering this right? I, I'm not, a, I'm not smart enough. I got done with school and wow. I could never go back. He says, and that is a patent lie that he's not smart enough. But uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, no, it's sort of the same thing. It's like a scam, right? It's like, uh, and and I learned a ton, obviously, just like you learn a lot in art art school. uh, But, you you know, it is kind of what you make of it. Uh, Yeah, you you know, you you said something interesting, which is, I think Andrew asked a question, which, which inspired the response. But what is the goal? I actually sort of, where I sit now, like 40, 40 years old. I'm 40. Yeah, I'm 40. You're there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at this point in my life, it's sort of like, I sort of wish I would have had fewer goals when I was getting my education, mm. right? Because I, I feel like like my, my educational goals were actually a hindrance to me learning sometimes, like learning about the things that I would have really liked to learn about. Not always, but sometimes. Fair enough. My question was more designed at like, do you just want to draw? Do you not care like what you're drawing? You just want to be creating? Or if there was something in mind that you wanted to be creating, like if you wanted to be an animator or something, something of that ilk, or if it was just, you just had this creative overflow and that was your outlet and that you were eventually going to be able to get paid money to do it. Yeah, it's more of the latter. I, I really, well, early on, things have changed now that, that I've been doing it for a decade. But early on, it was just, this is what I do all day anyway. I love it. I can't not do it. Let's let's move into uh, an opportunity to make this my career. Mm-hmm. And illustration was just kind of the option that I was kind of funneled into. It made the most sense. And so, yeah, I just kind of did it because I knew I was going to draw anyway. Now, 
I'm at the point where I know what I want to draw. I know what I want to paint. And I get very bored very quickly working with clients who are asking things of me that I care not about. That tracks. So, so we're, we're in art school. We're in, uh, forgive me the, the name of the first art school. Oh yes. You should remember all of these syllables. Yeah. yeah. Kendall we're, college of art and design. Okay. We've written it down now. We yeah, didn't, yeah, we yeah. didn't actually, yeah. I had pulled the tab up. I didn't. Uh, okay. So link, we're in art school. Link to Kendall college's admissions program. will be in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're there. Uh, what, yeah. What's what's happening next? Where where are you going? Uh, drop out and move nice. to Atlanta. Okay. Yes. Uh, so I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Felt very sheltered. And I was like, okay, let's move away, discover what life really is. And because I was living at my parents' house still in college, even spending all of my time not at my parents' house. It's like, this is a much better experience. And so I decided to just move to Atlanta, go to Savannah College of Art and Design. It's a much better program, bigger, better reputation, better resources, better facilities, everything, just a tier above. And uh, so I went there, met my wife, or at the time, my future wife, and I decided to drop out of uh, Savannah College of Art and, De- and Design as well, because I could not square the, the round peg to the square goal whatever, whatever, however you want to say it, it did not make any sense to me why I would pay money to keep going to school when I could just do the career anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, dropped out and just tried to figure it out from there. What'd that look like? So now you're out on your own, you're out of school, you're, you're obviously a, a talented illustrator and, and talented creator because you've now gotten into two art schools and dropped the mic on them. So what, I mean, there's something there, like the sauce is there. What, what are you, what are you working on now? Not currently, but now you're, you're out of school, you're, you're in Atlanta and now what? Yeah. Yeah. First, first off, art schools will take anybody. It, not all art schools, you can go to RISD and maybe they won't take you, but they probably will. It doesn't really even matter. They want the money. Uh, so art school is going to take anybody, especially the first two to four years. They'll take your money. The first two to four. Oh my God. How yeah. long is art school? Do you think, like <laughs> no. a do- well, you doctor? can go four years. Oh, yeah. And okay. then you can get your, your PhD or your, your master's or I guess master's is first, but yeah, uh, again, you, law you school, deep. same thing, same thing. Yeah. Yes. Law school, same, same way. You have to take an L- and do well on an LSAT though. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to do that well. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> You're a good drawer. You're not in art school yes. anymore. And you're in Atlanta, which is this significant cultural hub. Yeah. Atlanta's great. Atlanta's where I fell in love with coffee, which is now my main addiction. Second main addiction, drawing and then coffee. Uh, yeah, that's where I fell in love with coffee. It's where I fell in love with fashion. It's uh, where I fell in love with my wife. It's where I discovered that I didn't have to go to art school and I could pursue my own career. Art Atlanta pivotal in the sunflower man story it uh is interesting it's like every other southern state where you have to have a car to survive you just have to yeah because you can't be outside in the summer if you you need a car just for the air conditioning never mind the distance the air conditioning (laughs) i i did i'm trying to remember how long this was this must have been at least six months where i would drive from my home in home park uh all the way over to Buckhead, if anybody knows Atlanta. And everywhere in Atlanta is a minimum 30-minute drive. doesn't matter where you're going from to where you're going. 
no AC in the summer, just rolling down the window, sitting in traffic, dying. <coughs> oh, that sounds miserable. It was terrible. Atlanta was a, honestly, it was such a terrible time, but it was the best time of my life. There's value. The first that, night the, I, yeah, those, those, those transitional challenging times are really defining moments. Yeah. And speaking, speaking of defining moments, at some point, you'll get a call. You get a call from someone like a local haberdashery, haberdashery owner, I think, or something to the effect. And they say, hey, Matthew, we've seen your, we've seen your pictures. Why don't you come do some illustrations for us? So what yeah. was the call? Yeah, and that's how did essentially... You feel? Oh, it felt great. So it was just this slow... I was doing uh, some work at a nonprofit doing uh, art with kids after after school. Uh, and that was good. That, that made me feel good about myself. There's there's a whole uh, work-life history in Atlanta, but that felt good. I was doing that, and then I was trying to make the art thing exist on the side. And then, yeah, I got that. I got this, my first real gig from a company in Dallas and before I knew that that DFW was really going to be an important uh region in my life and they were the first ones to hire me to do the first real gig and it was all adobe illustrator and it was their style sheet so if you go into uh, a clothier and and you want to get a suit made they have the different types of lapels the different types of cuffs the different types of pockets you can get a slanted pocket a besom pocket of uh ticket pocket like you have all these different options so i was creating the style guide so that they could check off the thing that clients wanted uh, on their paper or on their iPad, like PDF. And this so is I a super this. 1960s device, right? This is not something that is yeah. used in modern clothes, but for kind of niche this. I said I use the term haberdashery because that's yeah. the kind of place you're going to find this thing. But this is a kind of an old school thing that you're doing. Like very bespoke. It would make sense yeah. that they would hire you. <laughs> yeah. It just perfectly yeah. tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It fit really well. And then that kind of brought me down this further niche of, of the suited world, the hashtag menswear era, where I ended up connecting with a ton of suiting companies and, and hat makers. I'm not wearing a hat now because I've really grown my hair out and I'm doing this top fun thing and hats just aren't working as well. But I love Borsellino. <laughs> I have uh, some Stetsons, Dobbs. I have a couple of handmade hats, one from this guy called the Heart Hatter here in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, I love my hats. I have, I have a great selection of some amazing hats, uh, some shoes that I really love, some Spanish made, some Portuguese made. I don't have any English made shoes, but they're all just so expensive. I can never afford them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Same I'd love to have like uh, I'd ha love to have like a pair of like HRH John Lobs or something, you know, like, Oh yeah. Like something that's just stupid, you know, like three grand. Those are, sh yeah. I, I feel like I'd be scared to wear them. I would, I would like have them on a shelf and I would really appreciate yeah. them, but I'm not sure I would wear them. The first time that I fell, which is a thing that happens to me, and I like gouged <laughs> the leather on the curb, I think I'd shit in my pants, just like right then and there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, it's meant to be worn, but not, not, not yet, not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when I think, I have never had shoes that are made quite, quite to that level. But no, when I think either. about the shirts that I wear, the suits that I wear that are made for me, for my body, you can't go back. You really can't. The the comfortability, and so this this is a off off the uh, rack jacket I'm wearing right now. 
It, it, and the, it's painted. I, that painting, I assume, is not off the rack because it looks like you did it. Yeah. So for, you know, the listening audience, I stood up and turned around and showed them my back, which could mean other things in different places. But mm-hmm. I did a painting on the back of my jacket to show off that that's the only reason I'm wearing <laughs> this off the rack suit jacket is because I painted on it. Otherwise, I, I need a I need one that's made for me. Otherwise, I, I just can't I just can't exist anymore. What a problem to have. It's a terrible problem. <laughs> so, the, you, I mean, th- was that your, w- was that first client in a menswear store kind of also your gateway into this men's fashion world? Or was that already kind of a world you were existing in and were aware of? Or was that like you just, you, you fell off the cliff and you're like, oh, wait, this all exists. And number one, it exists. Number two, it's amazing. And number three, shit, now I'm in it. Yeah, yeah, all of that happened. So I kind of, the the Tumblr era of hashtag menswears were really my intro into uh, that that genre, the high-end sort of mm-hmm. men's lifestyle. So that that job I got was early on in that stage, uh, but I, had, I that door had already been opened up for me. Uh, and then, you know, slowly more doors are opened up and I get deeper into that industry and get to know a lot of the people. They're great. I uh, get to travel the world, which is awesome. Uh, and But around the same time, and, and this is where I guess we can transition to watches, around the same time is when I discovered watches. So I never grew up. My, my dad maybe wore a suit on Saturdays to go to church. Maybe. Like Easter Saturday. Really. What was that? Well, like Easter Saturday? Like that was when he would wear one or like... It was just the occasional. No, we didn't like, celebrate Easter. Oh. Um, yeah, because they're Adventist, or you, you're not Adventist. Not Adventist, but close enough. But close, but close enough. enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I feel like I didn't. That was an unnecessary shaming of you, Andrew. No, we don't celebrate Easter, sir. Yeah, uh, it doesn't really matter. No, <laughs> no. It was just whenever my dad happens to be the one up front speaking. Oh, okay. Uh, on any given on any given Saturday, uh, but otherwise, yeah, just. I think maybe a polo is what he wore. But yeah, I never had access to tucked into light blue jeans. Lifestyle. Yeah, of course. Yeah, or khakis. Oh, or khakis. You know, doing you it know. nice. Okay. Yeah, you dress up, sir. It's yeah. it's Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so you get introduced uh, to watches. What's the what's the first one? Because everyone's seen watches. Everyone's familiar. What was the first watch that spoke to you? You're like, whoa, what's happening? I don't really know the first one that spoke to me. The first the first watch, I guess, that I started really getting into that I can remember is probably Panerai. And I feel like that was a a door opener for a lot of people, especially like 10 years ago. It's a gateway drug for sure. Yeah. Uh, So Panerai was really kind of like my way in and uh, not my way in Panerai. Panerai was kind of my first real obsession when it came to watches my way in. And this is actually, I think to the heart of, of why I care about watches at all is, is the stories. Uh, what I did when I first really discovered watches, it's early days of Instagram. I'm, I'm seeing all these people sharing wrist shots and I don't get it. I, I never owned a watch. My, nobody in my family ever owned a watch. I didn't understand why people cared. And so I was like, it seems related to fashion. So let me do something about this. And I, I asked people to send us a photo of their favorite watch and a story about why they care. And so I painted a hundred watches in a hundred days and got a hundred stories 
about watches. So people who like I graduated and I got my father gave it to me or my grandfather handed it down uh, for X reason or Y reason or husbands and wives were gifting them instead of wedding rings. And people just have all of these emotional, familial, passionate stories of why they cared about watches. And that, that blew me away, not having any relation at all to them. And, and it, that was my, my gateway into the watch universe is this, this passion. I just love the stories around things. I really like the magic of anything. It's part of why I like menswear, there's a magic to it, but that's what got me into watches. There's the engineering, there's the design, and then there's the fact that it belongs to somebody and it lives a life. All of that coming together. That's why I care about watches uh, at all. Well, and so at some point, you you now, I'll say this, you now maintain kind of two separate brands. You've got your, your menswear, your fashion brand, and then you've got a separate watch brand. Was there a point where you took like a hard transition into watches or was it was it what I imagine kind of like this like organic thing where you started also professionally drawing watches? Uh, I, they, they happen side by side. And I, when I first started getting into it, I thought it was adjacent to menswear and it really is like, that's the perfect description. It's adjacent to menswear. The world barely crossover. I mean, if you're going to Pitti Womo, you Hodinkee now covers Pitti Womo, which they never did before. Maybe the last two seasons. Yeah. Uh, but the, the Italians from what I understand were some of the early vintage watch collectors back in like the 70s and 80s they were collecting vintage watches and that kind of started this vintage watch trend and so when you go to italy and you have all this style they're they're all wearing these gorgeous vintage pieces uh so it makes sense when you're at pity or when you're at a milan fashion week or just walking the streets in rome you'll see these cool italian guys in their fantastic suits wearing an amazing watch, probably some brown suede loafers. And it's just, it just looks awesome. But that's about the majority of the crossover. Otherwise, different universes. Uh, talking to you guys, I, I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on this. Do you see a crossover of that, that menswear? Like we were talking about the hats, the suits, the, the shoes and watches. Do you guys see that? I, I think there can be crossover. I think what makes to me watches unique is that you can wear an op in that very high fashion very everything bespoke environment and you can wear it in cargo shorts right Mm. you can't wear well you can wear high fashion in cargo shorts but the cargo maybe is an ironic statement but I think watches yeah. kind of stand alone in that it's it's not an accessory, but it definitely is an accessory that can stand on its own. And I think that's maybe where the overlap is, is it can be used as an accessory, but it isn't necessarily an accessory. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting idea. It was something we talk about on the show pretty frequently in, in different respects. But, you know, there's this crossover between there's this crossover between watches and any number of sort of hobbies. And, and I tend to think of them as masculine hobbies, but I don't know that that's fair or even appropriate to say. But, you know, these these hobbies that are, um, you know, EDC 
you know, the everyday carry sort of community, the, you know, be that knives or watches or um, flashlights, you know, uh, there's some crossover with like the mechanical keyboard community, which, which I'm sort of learning about right now. There's (laughs) right. Yeah. Crossover into, you know, like boots, like some people are into boots, right? Like, like, like handmade boots and, um, you, you know, in that in that same way, there's crossover into into men's fashion. I think that those things are all sort of similar. At least, say in 2022, they're all similar in that very few people need those things in their lives. Um, you, you know, there's almost there's almost no professions in the United States remaining where you need to wear a suit. You, you know, there are. Um, you know, obviously, like city law firms, big city law firms, um, big city banking jobs or investing jobs, you know, be that London, New York, Washington, D.C., but even in like Mormon missionaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even in like San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle, you know, the West Coast, big, big cities, you know, there are very few professions at all. You know, as a as a professional attorney from Portland who's worked in Seattle as well, you, you know... I'd people, argue I wear a suit more than you do. You do. You almost <laughs> certainly do, right? And, and so it, it's, you know, especially as you get into, like, more progressive cities, like, nobody wears a suit. So the, the idea that you'd wear a suit in this pragmatic way is is almost extinct. Not quite. I won't say... There are not places where that's still important, but it is all, you know, be it watches or knives or suits, sort of kabuki at this point, which is, which is only to say, you know, it's these anachronistic hobbies that are mainly propped up by people who think it's cool. Because it is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right, Andrew. It is no, cool. I, I agree 100%. I would be down with every stitch of clothing I owned being a bespoke suit. Yeah. It's just, it's not really practical for the fact that yeah. I get thrown <laughs> up on still. Look, <laughs> <laughs> well, get a bespoke bib. Oh, right. And wear. Yeah, like a super one, super 120s worsted wool. Yeah, there's, <laughs> right. bib. there's something there. Pounds too. <laughs> That's right. There's something there. Maybe a nice hop sack. Oh, very yeah, nice. A little bit more durable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you make sure it can last X number of years? The number of years you need it. And you gotta and be able to wash it. Down. You gotta yeah. be able to like yeah. like grubby wash it, like actually scrub it. This is an heirloom. Yeah. yeah actually. Well, it's bespoke. And you want it to be heirloom. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you see, this stain, this stain happened when <laughs> this is from your great great grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> So, so go ahead, Andrew. Please. Well, so so now we're we're, we're into watches, and you're you, you did hundred watches a hundred days, and I and you glossed over that, and and I think we have to gloss over it for the sake of time. But that's a really fascinating uh, project that I think might even deserve in its own episode. Um, 
so now you're, you're you're painting and you're drawing watches. Is this as a hobby? Once you're done with your hundred, how are you choosing your watches? Are you being commissioned to to do these? Are you just finding a watch that inspires you? Because you're also still in your kind of like, are you in your like beginning of your own watch journey? Is this as watch painting is is occurring kind of in parallel? Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm still a decade in. I'm still very much an amateur. Uh, and that's because uh, mo- most of my focus has been on on the menswear side for so long that watches have been just oh, okay. Here's another project that popped up, one or two this year, and I can I can bring back all of my my memories and relationships, and I'm learning about this new watch or this new company or a new aspect of watches I didn't know about before. So it's been a slow growth and progression for me. And since there have been so few people over the last decade. So there are a ton now, but over the last decade, there were very few people painting or drawing watches. Yeah. Uh, my name would pop up over and over again for people who are looking for that sort of work to be done. They're like, oh, I, this guy, a couple of years ago, we ran across him. He does watches. So people would reach out or old or old clients who moved on to new positions. Like, oh, we, I love what we did before. Let's do it with this company or this project. So things would just progress until the are last you doing, two years. Are you doing like commercial projects at that point? Or are you doing any commission for individuals for the most part? That was mostly commercial work. I mean, the the thrust of my career has been B2B mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last two years, in a lot of ways, have switched to a lot of uh, B2C. But <laughs> yeah, B2B is still the, the big one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, <clears throat> when you... I, I guess... As far as, you know, drawing watches goes, you've got just a ton of subject matter that you can choose from if you're in control of what of what you're drawing, right? So obviously, a certain amount of your stuff is contract work, right? So yeah. if, if Dave Bethune hires you to come paint their watch, you're, you're really limited to that watch. Um, how much do you find yourself painting watches because you're like, this is a, a neat watch and I want to paint it or I'm, I love this watch. How, you know, what, what's the, what's the Delta of, or the ratio of, of Sunflower Man, Matt, Matthew Miller paintings versus contract work? Yeah. Well, especially with watches. And again, the last two years have, have changed a lot and we haven't really discussed it, but I brought it up a few times we need the, last to get there. Few years, yeah. the last two years. Uh, things have changed. So my paintings have slowed way down. I've developed a whole process. That's a Sunflower Man process. And these paintings, the, the rainbow you saw me drag across the screen uh, at the beginning, that was... Yeah. So just so, so, so not to interrupt you, but to when, interrupt yeah. you, when we do our intro... When you when you listen to us coming in on this show, there's this moment where we both like almost can't talk because we're laughing, uh, and that is because I I think he didn't do it on purpose. It seemed to me like it was a little bit. Uh, it seemed totally innocuous. Yeah, there there was no intentionality there. <laughs> Literally, all we can see on the computer screen in front of us is this bobbing giant, full size canvas of a rainbow Daytona watercolor painting. On our computer screen, and we just and is it the Rainbow Daytona isn't big enough? This one is actually torso to shoulder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the the, the Rainbow just kind of like bobbed in, and we're like you'd been gone, and we figured you were going to pee or something, and then Rainbow Daytona shows up before you do. <laughs> like this is this is what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, it's very serendipitous, uh, not intentional, but 
perfection. Indeed. <laughs> so the last two years hit us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've developed this process that I'm now spending two to six weeks per watch painting, which leaves very little time for self-exploration. Yeah. Uh, so when somebody comes and commissions me, I did three, uh, three A. Lang and Sono case backs, a triple split. Um, oh man, this was not even that long ago. I can't remember what I did. Anyway, three of them. Uh, one took four weeks. The other two each took six weeks to complete. And wow, they just, I mean, that's, that's a lot of time to do three yeah. paintings for yeah. me when traditionally I would do one, two, three, four, five a day when I was doing menswear, I would just knock these out. Uh, most of them just having fun. I'm experimenting. And then the watches I would do one a day. These are from uh, old Basel world 2017, I guess. Yeah. And so you guys are going to be able to see this, but this is the, this is like an eight by 10. That was a Seamaster. Uh, Panorama Luminor. Yeah. Oh, you'll you'll like this one. That's a that's Ooh. a brew. Yeah, it is. That's a, a an OG brew. The forty three oh, millimeter. A... Another brew. Yeah. With with an interesting dial, yeah. with an interesting bracelet on that. With that one. copper dial. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was just like a quick a quick rundown of a whole stack of these. And those are one uh, a day. You said those are one a days. Yeah, okay. I could do a couple of those in a day if okay. I wanted to. And that's what I was always doing, just kind of quick sketches. Now my process is, is laborious, but fantastic. They're more beautiful than ever. And now they're doing a lot more personal, like for, for private clients as well. And I almost never can talk about them. Yeah. I can kind of share, but I can never talk about where it's going or to whom. That and that, that's been a big change. Yeah. Right. Tracks, which, yeah. Was, which was the higher stress when you're painting for an individual or for a business? Depends on the context. Okay. Really. Uh, individuals can be higher stress. Mm -hmm. it's, it depends if, on just the client. Yeah. It's very client dependent. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, it, I was going to ask you about this uh, because when when you go, like, for instance, when you go to your Sunflower Watches, your your watch Instagram, um, you, you and you scroll through, there's this, like, really sort of uh transparent development right so your your first handful of paintings are these uh relatively small paintings painted on on book pages um yeah. and 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 they're they're hasty i wouldn't say that they're they're sloppy but they're faster drawings you know literally broad brush uh in some cases and then there's these transition points, right? Where you can clearly identify a change in technique, you know? So these early paintings, oftentimes just watercolor and then, or maybe, uh, or maybe like, like uh, inked watercolor. And then, you know, you get heavier into inks at some point and then you add gouaches. And so there's these, I don't know if it's mixed media is the right phrase, but you know, you know, most recent, like you've got a handful of FP Jorns and the longas that you've posted recently are like, you know, these really sort of heavily saturated backgrounds. Oh, I guess the question I'm talking and not asking a question, I guess the question <laughs> is, you know, are you I mean, obviously you're developing 
in terms of technique. Are you um, enjoying this process? Is this something that is uh, satisfying? Do you feel like you're developing as an artist? And, and where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. These these are the existential questions right. that I try never to ask myself. <laughs> per, do perhaps do that's I for the best. do I like my work? Am I happy with life? Uh, let's stay away from those questions and just stick with the like. I'm obsessed, and I have to keep doing it, otherwise I'll go insane. <laughs> are are those are those functions of getting better as an artist, or are they functions of? getting more connected to the subject material that you want to better portray it. Like that you just feel more connected to your subject that you want to portray it in a different way. Both, both. I think those are both uh, great, great <clears throat> angles for approaching it. And, mm -hmm. and both are true. On one hand, I'm, I'm getting to know watches much more intimately, especially since I'm doing the more I'm really getting into those details and each, each watch has a different story sometimes that I'm expecting. And that's always fun. And that, that helps me develop a, a, a richer painting, but also the more I paint with watercolors, the more I get into inks, the more I understand those mediums more intimately. And I yeah. can, I can do infinitely more with just a, a, a quick gesture of the brush than I could do three or four years ago. Uh, so it's it's a hundred percent both things in line with each other. Yeah. And I gotta, how are you viewing when you're doing like a, a case back when you're doing a movement? <clears throat> how are you capturing that detail? Are you are you just are you taking an image of this and blowing it up? Are you viewing it under a loop because the detail that you are capturing in every single component of that case back is. 20 times magnification perhaps yeah yeah i mean it's to the to the actual subject that you're painting what what are you how are you capturing that cuz that's that's truly impressive to be able to capture that tiny you know millimeters of detail in in 20x and and so just for for you at home we're looking right now andrew and i are looking at at sunflower at sunflowerman.watch on Instagram where there's a ton of these just amazing photos. We're looking at this most recent long uh triple split that you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. It's a case back photo which is you know arguably the most impressive side of this watch. Uh although the front's uh it's you wouldn't kick the, yeah. the the dial out of bed either, right? Um and so, right, I what it, I totally am tracking what Andrew is saying. Right, it, it's not just it, it's not just the detail or the proportion, which I think is impeccable. It's this whole like this is paint, and it is so alive it, in a way um, that's totally different than your first. If you scroll all the way down to the bottom your very first paintings on these book pages, also alive, <laughs> you know, in a totally different way. It's crazy. Yeah, let's make a deal where we do this conversation again, but you guys are here at my studio because we. I love the way you're asking questions and analyzing the process and the work. And I would love to have those questions again at some point when I can say, look right here at how this, yeah. how this, like what's happening here and here are my references. And, and maybe we could skip the would, microphones and just like have a bottle of Cuddy or something. Look. 
I'm down with that too. That's totally <laughs> awesome. We'll make a deal. You guys come down to Fort Worth at some point uh, because I can take you through. And honestly, it would take hours so we can analyze uh, the references, the the paper, the the processes. Um, I love these questions. I don't know how to answer all of them. Um, well, we hit a lot of questions. when it end up. What was that? We hit with the hard questions. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've got existential questions first. I've got, I've got, I think one more paint question that I'm going to ask you uh, because I've got, I, you know, I'm really curious about your process. You said in an interview a couple years back um, that you're, you, you gave a quote right at the end of this interview about painting the human body, the human form. Um, and that, that, that quote kind of struck me because it was this really, sort of heartfelt quote. Um, and, and it's interesting because your men's fashion paintings are people. They're, they're you know, they're human beings. Um, and, and your watches are, are clearly not. Have you found an analog in watches or, or was it always there where you were able to to tap into this expression of, of form or function in a way that feels the same way as the human body? Uh, yeah. I mean, what, one of the quick ways to kind of describe the connection is when I'm doing a watch painting, often I'm doing a watch portrait. Uh, and whenever I'm doing a painting of the clothing, it's typically also expressing a person and a portrait of a person. Uh, so most of the time, both are portraits. And in that way, I like to, to see that I'm I'm digging into the deeper story of the object or the person. Yeah. Uh, for me, fashion tells such a deep story. So much of the time when you meet people who are making clothing, when you meet people who are invested, I have, I have one really good friend here in Fort Worth who he works at the man shop here in, it was technically Arlington, but uh, in Fort Worth. And he is, he is in that lifestyle, but they're so much nuance in his story. And I love that. And to paint the clothing is to tell the story of his life. And when I get to the watch, when I'm focusing on, on the different movements, I don't, for one, I don't like when people say that looks like a photograph, because I don't try to represent a photograph. I try to represent an emotion mm -hmm. uh, or a story. And when you get into the painting and you get up close, you can see the brushwork, even on these detail pieces you get up close and you're like, oh, that's obviously not a photograph. There's a thick brush stroke there. There's a, a texture here that aren't literal, but they help describe the story of what's yeah. happening. Um, but that that's the idea. I want to get into the emotion of, of the object or the person. Do you wear these watches that you, that you do portraits of to, to connect to them? I mean, do you feel more connected to a watch when you've, when you're working on that portrait of it after wearing it or because you're wearing it? I mean, blink two times for yes, I do, but I'm not supposed to admit it. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> yeah. There were, there were three blinks. So he yeah, doesn't wear those unclear. watches. Um, uh, I, I occasionally get to wear, wear these watches. And whenever I do, I'm actually terrified. Uh, right. mostly because I, I could never pay off the debt if I ruined them. Yeah. Uh, you just run, so you just flee to Mexico. There's a, there's yeah, a great market right. for, yeah. <laughs> and safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, but some, sometimes I get to access them and, and these are transcendent moments because I'm faced with 
the reality of something I've just dreamed about that I not just dreamed about that I I've obsessed over for weeks at a time trying to to define in my own 2D terms mm-hmm. and I get to see it with the light reflecting off the metals and uh it really those are transcendent moments for me but it's too rare that I get to see the watches I paint uh, part partly because to make a career out of this I really do have to paint watches that are or the paintings are fairly inaccessible to most people because of the cost and time and money. Like I just, I have to sell them for a lot because they take forever, uh, which necessitates people who have the funds. And those are people who are likely buying the really expensive watches. Thus, I rarely have access to the real thing. Mm -hmm. This is Uh, the entire story of watch media, by the way. Yeah. Right. Yes. Which yes. is no, why, I, <laughs> which is why we're a volunteer podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and website. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. You can feel my pain. You're like I, if only I could, if only I could just have that watch, but I mean, I get cases like, uh, here we are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we know that watch. That's yeah. a barometric and it looks, there we go. Well, uh, uh, well, so, so what are your favorite watches? Your personal favorite watches? My personal favorite watches obviously have changed over time. I know that's the same for everyone. Right now, I am in love with the F. Pigeon Resonance, something I will never get to own, but I love the story. I have a whole series. and you Actually, that's the, the painting you guys saw with the dragon on it mm-hmm. is the Resonance. Um, so I have a whole series. I have like 15 paintings over here of the Resonance that are all partly done. Uh, none of them are finished. And I just, I like this, this idea of the two movements that are just so close in proximity that they're keeping each other in line. This, this shared space where two things are just moving, beating at the same rate. Uh, if one gets jostled, the other brings it back in line. I love this idea and just tracing the the history back. So I, I was trying to get to know more about the watch. Uh, so you eventually learned that Breguet did the, the pocket watch resonance. And this was at a time when one of the King Louis was reigning. I don't know which one in, I mean, in there's Paris. There's like 13. I mean, there were so many. Doesn't yeah. even matter. So one of them uh, actually owned one of these Breguet resonance watches. But at the same time, uh, Ingress, and I always forget the full French name, but Ingress was a famous... French painter. He painted Roger delivering Angelica, which is a version of, and some people are going to, going to hate what I have to say here, but it's a version of St. George and the dragon. One of Ingress's paintings was owned by King Louis, the same King Louis who owned the Breguet resonance who also are this, this watch or this painting was actually in the Louvre, but the, there were two St. George and the dragons painted by Raphael back in the 1400s. So hundreds of years before the resonance, but that painting was the direct inspiration for the Ingress painting of Roger delivering Angelica. And I know we're getting in the weeds and hopefully nobody's too bored because I'm really into this. Uh, so the resonance and St. George and the dragon are living this parallel life of traveling through Paris at the same time being owned by the same King. Uh, and going on this journey of inspiring F.P. Jorn to create the first resonance wristwatch, which then was handed off to me. Not, not the actual yeah, the watch. watch. Sorry, it's, in, it's in the studio right now. It's, it's not even framed. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, oh yeah, my resonances—they're just lying around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now I'm now I'm just kind of on this obsession with the idea of the resonance and its relation back to Saint George and the Dragon, and I'm merging those two universes that are 500, 600 years apart. That's awesome. transcendent. Transcendent. Yeah. There we what, go. What about obtainium watches? Watches that you. You actually that are in that exist in reality with the rest of us. Yeah, and I, I'm completely biased, but I love brew watches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan, you're not no biased. Jonathan. You're reasonable. I'm reasonable, <clears throat> very reasonable. I've known Jonathan for probably seven years, so ever since he started uh, brew watches, and we connected over espresso naturally. And so I've been I've been there as he developed the first brew. I, I have one of the original brews. I have. The the HP one, which I love, one of his second or third iteration. I have a retrograph, and now I have the metric chronograph as well. And I I use this to make my espresso probably three times a day. So I'm using that chronograph. You're like hitting really right around twenty five. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. it's this is li- this is living a life. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, uh, I also have a hand art, but. It w- also great watches. Yeah. You know, the Hanhart, uh, Hanhart, uh, watches, I think fantastic history on those watches, a, which I think a lot of people don't know. And B just in terms of like visually interesting watches, you know, they have like little pops of color. Mm-hmm. They've got those really interesting bezels. Uh, yeah. Super cool watch. Exactly. The watches that I would think you would be into. Yeah. <laughs> very visually stimulating, very cool. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, and both help me make my espresso, so <laughs> better still. <laughs> Matthew, <clears throat> anything else about watches you want to say? Anything else about watches that I want to say? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have a lot to say about watches. I love the I love the stories of watches. That's what interests me the most. Um, so that's part of why I love brew watches so much. Jonathan is an amazing person, a great designer. He loves espresso. So naturally he's a good person. Um, I don't know. So when you get to know people like that and then, then you can get their watches too. That's just a great, a great story there. So not just the story of the watch itself, but to get to know somebody in their time while they're making it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The complete know. package, that's, as that's, it were. There we go. Yeah. Which Jonathan for sure is. Before we transition, we owe Sunflower Man an apology. Yeah, we do. And and I'll tell you why. I don't know why. I can't tell. I'm looking at his <laughs> face. I can't tell if he knows why. He looks like he is not surprised. Uh, w- a few weeks ago on the show, Neither one of us was thinking about it, uh, but we had, I don't know, it wasn't a segment, it wasn't planned, but we had a little bit of a uh, devolution of conversation where we inexplicably, I would say, trashed on the given name Matt. Did we? We did. Man, I have no memory of this. Who's named Matt? You know, Matt, like what a terrible name. And I think you did that. I have no memory of this. <laughs> was I doing it? Did I pile on? <laughs> and so we said this without any intention. 
Uh, and our friend Matt, Matt Miller, Matthew Miller, wrote us to, to lodge a complaint. It went uh, right to daddy, too. Will really spanked us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so for, for Matthew Miller here, to, here with us today and all the Matts in the world, including all of our very good friends who are Matts, we apologize. Matt is a, a, a above average name, I'd say. It's a, it's a very good name, even. In terms of volume, definitely yeah. above average. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to all the mats we offended. It's got most of the vowels, paraletters. You know what you call a guy with no arms and no legs on the porch? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so moving along. How did you look that up just for this? Andrew, <laughs> other things. <laughs> What do you got? <laughs> I'm just enjoying the slow burn of that joke because we didn't land the punchline. That makes that's what the best part. You get to the punchline on your own. So, uh, my other thing, I made these bowza tonight, and they were terrific. And I've made a good variety of dumplings in my time. Some leavened, some unleavened. I've worked off of recipes. I've tweaked some recipes. This pork bun, Bowser recipe, came from a place called Recipe Tin Eats. And it is the Chinese steamed pork buns recipe. I'll read you their synopsis. Pillowy soft steam buns filled with a sweet, savory, Saucy pork filling. Homemade can, can concur, by the way. Homemade Chinese pork buns are truly just like the ones you swipe off the dim sum trolleys. These will blow your mind. Now, I didn't make the filling that they recommended. I made my own. I wanted a good dough recipe because that's kind of where I find my weaknesses is in making yeah. doughs because doughs are a much more scientific process than, than cooking. And I'm, I'm a Fair, fairly adequate cook. I can literally mix, chemistry. Yeah, I can mix flavors. I can blend flavors. I can, I can do things. But when it comes to doughs and baking, I'm always I'm I'm weak in my freehanding because you shouldn't freehand chemistry. That's just science, right? Yeah, like you just shouldn't do that shit. Science. So I find a lot of my trial and error comes with finding good dough recipes. And some places have good dough recipes, and some places don't have good dough recipes. I'm still trying to find the right pizza dough recipe. Mm. Because that's a hard one to find. And I've tried hundreds mm. of pizza dough recipes. I've freehanded like 50 of them. And it's just not, it just doesn't work. So <laughs> this, uh, this Bowser dough recipe, I will say, my wife agrees. Everett now concurs. Concur. Is money. It is the right. Now, you're also going to have to have some technique in, in your rolling out of your, of your dumplings. And in your in your ceiling of your dumplings, mm. the thing that I thought was weird was the amount of cornstarch. Cornstarch is usually like for me, a, like a tablespoon of something made into a slurry to thicken something else. This recipe used like two to one flour to cornstarch, mm. whatever, yeah. and a bucket load of sugar. Yeah. Four tablespoons of sugar to two <laughs> cups of flour. Lots of food for the for the yeast. Yeah, but it it's it. 
Yeah. So solid. if if you're interested in trying out making pork buns at your house, which are a delicious snack, they're a delicious meal. This is the dough recipe that's going to be my go-to. Chinese or uh, recipe tin eats. It'll the link will be in the show notes. This is a killer dough recipe. Sick. Fill it with what you want. Use this dough recipe. Yeah. Great. And it's a live yeast. You using a yeast packet or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like yeast packets because you get a fast dough. Uh, but fast doughs are a little tricky, right? You they can be. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and you got to make sure it's fresh. You can't don't buy the brick of yeast. If, right. you're, if you're newish to baking and you don't bake a lot, don't buy the brick because the yeast needs to be activated. It's a living organism. And for those of you who brew or who make wine or do any kind of fermentation science, yeast is a living organism and it will just die if you leave it in that brick and you don't use it. You can't, you can't open your brick and use it over the course of a year. If you don't use that much live yeast for baking, get the packets that's the right way to go. The Get, bricks are for people making several loaves of dough every day. <laughs> every day, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- that yeast will die and it will, you will not be able to revive it. Use 110 degree water. Yeah. Sugar. Let it let it activate and let it warm up. Give it plenty of food, let it rise. Yeast is a very delicate creature and yeah. you need to treat it as such and it will reward you. Okay, I've got another thing. Do me. And it doesn't involve science. Out tracks. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I started a show this week. You know, weird uh, as we do, as we do, as we do. This is a spinoff of this is a spinoff of a DC show that came out last year called The Suicide Squad. Spinoff of a, a movie. Show. Okay, it's, it's a spinoff of a movie called The Suicide Squad. W- one of the surprise. So Suicide Squad, obviously Harley Quinn. Um. I think one of the surprise... The remake was way better than the original. The remake was better than the original. And there's some argument about whether they're in the same or perhaps different universes. Um, And maybe there's an answer. But in any event, the remake was very good. But one of the surprise joys of that show was the character played by John Cena. The weasel? The uh, (laughs) the weasel was the shit. (laughs) The peacemaker... The Peacemaker. So John Cena plays this. I I mean, you you know, it's almost like a character that was written for him. If John Cena was this like really sort of oblivious, terrible human being, I I don't know. He may be. This may just be his personality. It might be a joke on John Cena. Right. (laughs) When he doesn't know. (laughs) Uh, HBO Max. uh, HBO Max. Kim and I started this show this week. And I think we're three episodes in, and I think that there are six or seven episodes available. So it's at the point where you can start binging. That's a bingeable amount. Yeah, that's a bingeable I imagine amount. It's HBO Max, so I imagine they're hour-long episodes. Uh, not quite. I don't think they're quite that long. Um, but it is hilarious. It's hilarious. It is really, really, really good. Um, the cast is great. The, not a lot of people that you're going to be super familiar with, but some that you are, but some recognition. Absolutely. Uh, probably most famously Danielle Brooks from orange is the new black. Um, fantastic cast. And the writing is terrific. 
totally terrific writing. It's funny. It's surprisingly funny. John Cena's character, the Peacemaker, is both deplorable and also incredibly lovable. I think it's fair to say at this point. Um, it's like the dumber version of the the bad superhero in, uh, uh, oh shoot, the superhero show from Prime. The Boys. The Boys, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's dumb. He's dumb, but also not stupid. And... Yeah, it's a it's been really, really clever so far. And even Kim, who's sort of a little bit not quite as into crude humor, has been really enjoying it. So I would say check Peacemaker out. It's it's got Kim sign off. Kim sign off. It's got Kim sign off. Surprisingly hilarious. Also. Like uh, pink mist and boobs. So, yes. (laughs) Yeah, right got everything it's got it all all the things that i want it's it's got it all and and emotion some strong human emotion john cena crying naked on a bed that's all you needed to tell me (laughs) (laughs) matthew matthew you got really close to the to the camera when i said that (laughs) tell me more john cena what (laughs) matthew other things what do you got uh what do i have so the olympics are on they are. And yes, they are. I'm not a big Winter Olympics fan. Who, just don't who care is, all that much. Right? I prefer them. I but I'm getting into curling. curling. Yep. Okay. Yeah. The mixed doubles. <laughs> oh, my God. So stressful. Oh, man. <laughs> Italy just won gold. Their first medal ever in curling at any level. Unprecedented. They just won gold. Yeah. They went Literally. 10 and 0. Yeah. The mixed, the mixed doubles, which apparently is different than the regular men's team or the regular women's team. Mm-hmm. It's the new and they have different. different rules. Yeah. Yeah. But very suspenseful. You just, oh man, I've, I've been the last three nights. I'm, uh, I actually was going to come into the studio and finish this painting that I brought by the, the rainbow. Um, and I was like, nah, I think I'm going to watch the end of this curling match because I yeah. just can't, I can't not watch. You're telling me you grew up in, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. And you're just now becoming familiar with curling? Isn't that where like all the American curlers are from? Grand Rapids? That would be or amazing. The, or the Great were. White North, at least. Like Michigan See, and Wisconsin. Yeah. If you want to get Maybe UP, into yeah. this, yeah, the UP, the UP, <laughs> the North Dakota, Wisconsin, once you get over there, over sure. a bit west of Lake Michigan and then north of Lake uh superior then then uh or not no, shit like gets superior, weird superior but right they start pushing uh, rocks yeah. around on the ice for fun with a broom yeah that's <laughs> oh apparently it started in scotland that tracks curling did. yeah in the 1800s <laughs> yep that tracks um I, yeah I had no yeah clue. so i just got into it i can't snowboard i can't ski i've never been ice fishing yes I grew what up in Michigan. you grew up in michigan yeah. and you've never been ice fishing Huh. Every time every Winter Olympics comes around, I always look up curling leagues or like recreational yeah. curling opportunities near me. There's bucket loads up there. I'm sure there's some in the DFW okay. area. Um, there are not there's so one. many near us. Like none. Near us. <laughs> yeah, no, Oregon, we don't do that. There is ice fishing opportunities not, here, but there are not many. Yeah, but you're not that far from ice. 
just do a jaunt up to Vancouver, right? And yeah, that's a that's a pretty long jaunt. Yeah. I mean, Oregon's no Texas, but it's it's pretty vast over here too. Yeah, that's y- true. Yeah, I mean, I, I people don't realize like the the distance. Like people think like, oh, Portland and Seattle are just right next to each other. It's actually like the distance between like Cleveland and Washington, D.C. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've done that drive. Yeah, right. I mean, it's not it's it doesn't, both of those. Yeah, yeah. it's not great. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is the it's the it's the West, man. It's the West. Uh, so so you are from you're from Grand Rapids, but that is properly on the mitten. And nowhere near. Yeah, show us the mitten. Yeah. It, okay. It, it's nowhere near. Detroit. Yeah. Like Grand Rapids. Like I, Munsing or something. I love that. Chicago. That's a, like such a uniquely Michigan behavior to show the yeah. mitten and where you live on the mitten. Yeah. I love asking people from Michigan where they're from. <laughs> Even if I know exactly where they're from, I insist that they show me on the mitten. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you, a, it's a fun party trick. So, so we'll ask for some, we'll ask for some definitional, um, some definitional background. Your other thing then is mixed doubles curling or curling generally mixed doubles curling. I, bro, I'm going to watch all the men's and the women's competitions are yet to happen, but mm-hmm. I'm into it now. Mixed yeah. doubles was exciting. Apparently the rules are, are different enough that actually the regular curling sounds boring. Mm. comparatively but we'll we'll see i mean yeah, yeah. So i'm gonna watch it there's still some intensity you know we were talking about this andrew and i and and some other people were talking about this recently about winter sports it sort of seems like you you, you know when, when you look at like the the summer olympic teams be it track and field or swimming right like everybody who's there is sort of the best Right. It feels like the Winter Olympics, you sort of got like this group, like this, like this cadre of folks. And they're like, listen, Bob, you've done mixed doubles for the last six years. You're doing mixed doubles again. And Bob's like, I want to be on the. Yep. (laughs) You know, and they're like, they're like, it's political, Bob. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do your time. Doesn't it feel that way? I mean, I'm sure that that's not. I mean, the U.S. Olympics. The, the 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 representatives of the United States of America, the curling team, is a bunch of dudes in their forties. They're just bros who are all a little fat. Yeah, yeah. I love those guys. Oh yeah, but the 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 Italian mixed doubles team. Oh, they're the obviously beautiful. And, yeah, they're oh they're gorgeous. Oh <laughs> my gosh, what how, how I they, they they buck the stereotype, but they are Italian, so they fit the stereotype. But she's twenty two, he's twenty six. They're both fit and gorgeous, like amazing jaw lines. Um, and they didn't they, win. They, uh, they didn't win they, even with those fucking jaw lines. Yeah, they, so, they, they just won. crushed it. Oh, they, they just well, weren't quite. Why. They just weren't quite good enough to be the ice dancing pair. So they're like, you can curl. They're like, yeah, I can you push can a curl. rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know how ice physics work. <laughs> you can just push the rock as if it's your partner, yeah. and then you sweep the rock to get it closer right. to the target. Like, I can do that. <laughs> okay, so a couple last minute questions for you because people are wondering, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cowboys or Falcons? Yep, sports. Uh, Lions. Okay, whoa. Jack- All right, that tracks. Right. Yeah. So who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's going to win? Oh, the Rams. So Matthew Stafford was quarterback for the Detroit Lions yep. for the last 13 years. It's true story. He did his time. 
We nobody in Detroit is mad about this. He needed something great. We're Detroit is all behind the Rams this year. They back when back when the Rams were good. My my dad and my brother, their initials are both R A M. So they decided that meant they could root for the the St. Louis Rams yeah, back yeah. when they were in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. So we were we were Rams fans as a kid when I was a kid. Um, but now I'm a Rams fan because Matthew Stafford is there and I need him to do well because he did he works so hard for the Lions. He needs something good. Okay. He's he's what I wish Joey Harrington could have had. Yeah. He went to the oh, he went to the Lions oh, and just got his shit pushed yeah. in for his entire career. And yeah. Matt Stafford, like, bless his heart, man. He's the number one draft pick and he's going to the Lions. It's like, well, fuck my career. And he gets his shit pushed in for a decade. And now he's on a Super Bowl team. And, you know, people are like, Joey Harrington never panned out. And it's like, Joey Harrington never had a lineman over <laughs> 240 pounds. Or five foot six. Like, <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's talk about Joey Harrington. He had Beetlejuice blocking for him. I mean, good God. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So next question. Next question. <laughs> Uh, FP Jorn or Longa? Jorn. Okay. Ooh, okay. Okay. Final question. Final question in your speed round. Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart. Oh, man. There's a lot of action. You guys can't yeah. see the action, but there's a lot of action happening here. My, my face, my face uh, does a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure even what we're talking about here. Well, I mean, so you're 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 a men's fashion illustrator, yeah. And in my mind, I think those are like the two icons of traditional menswear of all time, at least in terms of America. You know, offended him. Oh man. Okay. You said Cary Grant, and I was thinking, uh, I was thinking K E R R Y, and I was like, I don't think no, I know no, who this person. No, no, is. Cary Grant. C A R Y. C A R Y. Cary Grant. Yeah. Or Jimmy Stewart. Very much like my love of watches, my, I had there's no history. I don't understand the history. What I know, like I came in after I fell in love. Same thing with menswear. What I know of menswear, uh, I learned after I fell in love with menswear. So Cary Grant for me is just like an interesting figure who exists from Hollywood and people say that they love his style, but I don't know if they actually really do. I think people... This is my, this is honestly what I feel like is happening. People know they're supposed to say they like Cary Grant. So everybody says he's an inspiration. Matt, you that's, and I are going like, to, you and I are going to have to fucking round about on this. Man, that's why everyone owns a speedmaster. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to check Matt out at sunflowerman.watches. On Instagram, also at Sunflower Man, sunflowerman.com. That's his men's fashion page, and sunflowerman.watch, amazingly, which is the watches page. You can also check out Watch Clicker at watchclicker.com, as you know, or you can find us on Instagram at 40 and 20 or at Watch Clicker. We want to thank Notice Watches for supporting this episode of 40 and 20. You can right now until March 1st on the Notice Watches website. Use the code CLICKER at checkout and you can get 10% off any watch on their website. If you want to support Watch Clicker or 40 and 20, you can do so at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Look, guys, that's where we get all the money that we have in our bank accounts to pay for hosting and microphones, software, etc. We really appreciate all the use 
that support us. And we hope if you don't, you might think about it in the future. And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.